podcast a podcast about music health wellness and activism that will help you define balance between life as a musician and self-care through health and wellness i'm your host jazzy piggott a tuba player composer certified personal trainer writer and podcaster based in baltimore maryland in this episode i interview aubrey ford one of my friends here in baltimore and the principal tubist of the baltimore symphony orchestra Aubrey Ford has held the position of principal tuba player with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra since 2018. He was previously principal tuba of the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra and has performed with over a dozen other major orchestras. He has taught tuba and euphonium at UCLA since 2013 and has served as an artist faculty member at the Brevard Music Center since 2014. He has performed internationally as a soloist and teacher, most recently in Southeast Asia. In this conversation, we talk about how Aubrey became an orchestral musician, how people can emotionally be moved by music, the schedule of playing in a professional orchestra, staying resilient on the audition circuit, Aubrey's health journey, the importance of staying fit for brass playing, tips for healthy eating and staying active as a busy person, the importance of staying organized, and how and when cardio can benefit your playing and be more beneficial than practicing. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. It kind of came out of nowhere because I'd never talked to him before either. He just reached out to me like, oh, you want to do this? And I'm like, oh, okay. So he said one of his students mentioned me. So I guess I got my name out there during the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of jobs in academia sort of come together that way, honestly. Um, that's how I got my job at UCLA, to be perfectly frank. I uh, uh, knew Chris Cooper, uh, who was teaching horn there at the time. And he had played in the Canadian Brass uh, for a bunch of years. And so we just sort of randomly ran into each other at the airport and got to know each other a little better and uh, <laughs> drank a lot, both in the United Lounge and on the plane. Uh, and then uh, sort of kept in touch. And then randomly, he just called me one day, he said, would you be interested in this job? And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love <laughs> to do that. And it was one of those like, you know, you get the phone call uh, and you know you get talked up a lot and they're like, yeah, we're gonna do this great thing with you. And you hang up the phone and you're like, okay, well, that's never gonna happen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're in the call and you're like, yeah, 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 that's great. Yeah, please, okay, great. Yeah, I can't wait. Okay, see you soon. And then <laughs> you never hear anything. That happens all the time when you're like in your twenties and trying to figure it out. Um, yeah. At least it happened a lot for me. And so, you know, um, but this, this one actually worked out. And before I knew it, I was uh, being onboarded and, you know, started with five students there. So right. it was, uh, you know, you hear a lot of stories like that in academia. Yeah. yeah. So I'm glad I'm making my way in there now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's going to be great on your resume it's, or your CV rather. And uh yeah, I mean, just to have that as, as your very first experience is, is, a, is awesome. Yep. All right. So tell me about yourself. 
So uh, my name is Aubrey Ford, and I uh, am probably best known as being the principal tuba player of the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. Um, I've been here since 2018. Um, and before that, I was principal tuba in the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra from 2012 to 2018. And before that, I did a bunch of uh, sort of regional orchestra uh, gigs. Um, I played in the West Virginia Symphony, the Albany Symphony, the Santa Barbara Symphony. And I did a fair bit of sort of playing around uh, Southern California. I didn't get a lot of just sort of one-off gigs, but I did play in the San Diego Symphony during their summer seasons. So that, that's sort of a brief history of my performing life. And then uh, I also teach at UCLA. Um, I've been teaching there since 2013. And I've been teaching at Brevard Music Center since 2014. So those are sort of the three sort of things that I do professionally. Let's see, what else can I tell you? I'm married. I have a wife, Emily, who I met in LA and who has joined me out here in Baltimore. And she's terrific. She is not a musician. She calls herself a muggle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's amazing that I have somebody like that in my life. And then we just got a, a little kitten uh, named Rishi, who's a Siberian. And uh, yeah, we live in this little row house in Baltimore. And it's, it's sort of this really you know, nice sort of, in a lot of ways, idyllic life, in a lot of ways, ext extremely stressful and at times unstable life. But, uh, you know, I am mostly doing what I want to do. And it's, 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 uh, I, I, re I very much enjoy my life as much as I can. That's good. Have you always wanted to be an orchestral people player? So I have. Um, when I was uh, 14, I decided that I really wanted to be musician for a living. And I think, you know, at that time, uh, it was a little bit easier to get a job as an orchestral tuba player. Um, so, you know, it just seemed to me to be a, a natural path forward. And so I uh, got really into it. I started practicing a lot. And, um, you know, my, my, my parents made it pretty clear to me that I wasn't ready to do that. Um, I was not practicing um, enough and that I didn't really know anything about classical music. So I really, I don't know, I just had a fire under me uh, and I just to, you know, mostly I still do. Um, you know, I, I really wanted to do this and uh, I just, I started practicing two, two and a half, three hours a day. And that fire just sort of kept me going all through high school and into college. Um, I just really worked hard at it. Um, for a really long time. So uh, yeah, um, to answer your question, yeah, I, I always wanted to do this. I have a passion for this music. I actually have a passion for what we bring to the audience, right? So, you know, a lot of the times, you know, people are just coming for entertainment, but a lot of the times people are also coming to sort of experience this, I think sort of indulgence in creativity. Right. So, you know, they come to hear and experience and see culture. They come to hear and see culture. And for a lot of people, that is sort of an escape from their week or their lives or whatever. And for a lot of people, it could even be something that 
you know, one day could be something that's profoundly moving. If they're feeling really depressed or something, you know, and you hear this really great concert, it can, you know, put you in a better mood, at least temporarily, but maybe even, you know, sort of change the way you're thinking about life. I mean, that's really the power of music to me. And that's why I keep doing it, even when, you know, you just like any job, there are ups and downs. But I love to connect with people in that way. And you don't always know whether or not you're doing it, but you know that people are profoundly influenced by the music that you play. Right. So what do you like most? Is that what you like most about doing what you do? A hundred percent. That's, that's basically why I do it. That's, you know, I mean, like I said, there are, there are good days and bad days playing in an orchestra, just like any job. Right. So I think you really need like an underlying reason as to why you want to show up every day as to why you want to work to put your best product out there every day. And for me, that's, that's creating a really, you know, the most beautiful, profound cultural experience for the listener that I can. Right. So what's it like playing in an orchestra full time? Like what does your week usually look like? Well, so typically uh, the week begins on Tuesday or Wednesday. And if it's a, you know, subscription week, classical week, uh, we'll have a uh, Tuesday rehearsal uh, in the morning. And then we'll have two rehearsals on Wednesday and then a rehearsal Thursday morning and a uh, Thursday uh, performance, Friday performance, Saturday performance, Sunday matinee. That's on the four concert weeks. Um, the uh, three concert weeks are shortened so that it starts on Wednesday. Uh, sometimes we do pops stuff and that's usually one or two rehearsals starting on a Wednesday or Thursday. And then we do, uh, you know, just a variety of other things. So, you know, that's, that's sort of the day to day. Um, this, you know, as a tuba player, the seasons vary. This season is incredibly heavy. Um, there are two weeks out of the 52 week season, uh, there are two weeks, not including the vacation weeks that don't involve tuba. So I am there all the time. Um, and I, you know, it, it can be, it can be a lot to, you know, try to stay on top of the schedule because we're playing a lot. Not only am I being used all the time, but <laughs> we're playing a lot of really heavy repertoire. So, you know, you've got to really stay on top of your game. You've got to really be thinking one, two weeks ahead of where you are all the time so that, you know, you can really, always come to rehearsal prepared, always sounding your best. Um, so, you know, that, that impacts your practice schedule. And what's interesting is that you've actually got to figure out how to balance the really um, uh, chop intense weeks with uh, your practicing. So like last week we did three John Williams shows. Uh, it should have been four, but we actually haven't been performing at our second venue in Strathmore for uh, labor-related reasons, um, but we did three John Williams shows, and I was cooked after that, <laughs> and so this week, you know, I mean, just trying to figure out, okay, well, how much can I still practice and not just completely, you know, ruin my face, um, and so, you know, just sort of figuring out that balance. Next week, I'm playing Poem of Ecstasy out in L.A., um, and so, you know, uh, trying to figure out, okay, well, how am I going to make sure that I'm really in the zone for that? Um, so, you know, I mean, that's, 
that's what's that's what's really interesting about playing i think in like a 52 week orchestra is that you know you've got to really be strategic about how you spend your time practicing um and how you balance the workload with your practice session. When I was playing in a 40 week orchestra, that wasn't nearly as true, not even close. You know, there were so many weeks that didn't involve tuba. I mean, you know, it was also a much smaller compliment uh, back in Charlotte. So, you know, I wasn't quite as, um, there wasn't nearly as much of a penchant to program really big orchestral stuff. But now here in Baltimore, that's like, it's basically all we do, <laughs> which is great. I mean, you know, just to be clear, when we're playing all this heavy repertoire, it's a huge blessing. I mean, you know, we started this season with Sibelius second, and then we went into a week with Semblinsky's The Mermaid, and then we did a week with Miraculous Mandarin and Chike Five, and then we did the John Williams week, and this week we're doing Tilo and Spiegel, and then, like I said, next week I'm going out to LA and playing um, a Poem of Ecstasy, and then I'm back here and uh, there's a week with uh, Dvorak 8 and there's a week with La Mer. You know, I mean, it's, it's just sort of this like endless sort of train of great repertoire and which is awesome. It's amazing. Um, but, you know, you, you also have to really be protective of yourself, of your chops, of your, you know, making sure that you don't get injured, that sort of thing. How long are your rehearsals and I guess your practice sessions usually? Yeah, so rehearsals are um, two and a half hours typically. If we have two rehearsals in a day, the first one's two and a half and the second one's two. Um, so, you know, um, depending on how much I'm being used, you know, I could be playing all of that time. In the John Williams rehearsals, I was, right? So, you know, there was one piece without tuba in that whole program. So you're sitting there just sort of playing for two and a half or four and a half hours a day. Um, and then, you know, with the more typical orchestral repertoire, there's a lot more rest built in. So even though you might be called for every piece, you get more time to just sort of, um, you know, not have the horn on your face um, in the middle of a piece. Um, my practice sessions, you know, they're typically an hour, hour and a half if I really want to extend it out. Um, you know, uh, I don't, at, at this point in my career, I don't spend a lot of time really hacking away at stuff. Um, I try to be really strategic about how I practice and when and what I practice um, and even where, um, you know, and try to really have a goal of what I'm gonna get done in a practice session. Um, so, you know, the, the three hour practice days, those, those are pretty rare for me. I do occasionally do that when I'm getting ready for an audition. I just have, you know, like a long list of excerpts to prepare and get up to the standard that I want them to be at. But, um, you know, or, or sometimes if I'm preparing a recital, I'll do the same. But typically, you know, if it's just sort of a week to week sort of practice session, maintenance practice, I'm looking at an hour and a half, two hours a day of practice, not too much. Some days, like I said, when, when we have like a week like John Williams, you know, I might just warm up or I might just practice like an hour a day. Um, it's, it's going to be pretty minimal because I have to save my face to, you know, get me through this concert and not risk injury. Yeah. Cause you're talking about like, that would be around six hours of playing some days, right? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah, and actually during the John Williams week, we ended up giving a uh, brass quintet recital at a retirement community. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, everything, everything just feels tired by the end of that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a journey. It's a journey. Do you ever take days fully off? Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, not too often. Maybe once a month, maybe, maybe twice a month if, you know, I feel like I can. But, you know, the, the most important thing for me is, is just to feel like I am on top of my game at all times. And when you take, you know, a little too much time off, then it's a constant uphill battle and it feels like you're behind. And personally, I hate that feeling. I, I can't go through life feeling that. So, you know, the, the days off are during the season are frankly few and far between. Now, you know, during the summer season, yeah, I'll, I'll take a couple weeks off. You know, I need to, I, I need to, you know, back away, get some perspective, get more of a high level view of what I'm doing and just sort of come back feeling refreshed. Um, so um, yeah, that's, that's basically how I'd answer that question. I think that, you know, generally, especially on a season like this, you know, like I've got to just really uh, make sure I stay in shape. So like I said, it's, it's just sort of walking that tightrope, that balance of, okay, well, I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to practice a little less than normal, uh, but I'm also going to make sure that I'm practicing consistently every day. Um, so when you were doing the audition circuit, like I know you probably didn't win every audition you took, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you stay resilient through all that? That's a great question. Um, like I said, I think First and foremost, you have to really have something that propels you forward, that makes you want to do it every day, right? You know, if you're just if you're just sort of doing it because it's fun, you know, um, and you like hanging out with people, then that's you know that's good. It's a really good thing to have, but I don't think it's a reason that will sustain you because you know there's there's a lot of politics that come into orchestras and and friends frankly kind of come and go. Um, so, you know, I think that the most important thing is to focus on what you love about the music. Um, so I don't mean to harp on that point too much, but I really do want to emphasize the importance of it as a fundamental, um, uh, uh aspect of being a musician. Now the audition itself I think probably the most important thing for me, the most important discovery as far as motivation goes is to honestly just have fun with it. I mean, and that's really hard to do when you're spending all this money. And especially like if you're a student student and you're listening to this, um, you know, and you're spending money that, you know, you, you might not even have um, and you have to, you know, prove yourself and all this stuff. That can be really hard, um, but you know you can put yourself in that mental place where you say, you know, I'm just going to do this for fun. I am okay with where I am right now. Um, I'm going to make it sound the best that I can, and I'm going to make it sound the best that I can for myself, right? So that's where you focus on. Okay, well, this is the best that I'm going to give. I'm going to have a good time getting there. 
And then when I show up, I'm just going to, you know, do my best and enjoy the process. Um, so, you know, one way to sort of help focus on that is to really think of what you're doing as a recital of excerpts, right? You're not there to, you know, give this sort of really academic sort of, you know, lecture or whatever of orchestral music. You're there to, you know, make each excerpt into your own thing. And so that when you show up there, every little excerpt should sound like you're playing um, the music that's on the page, the piece that you're playing, but it should be your interpretation that you've made into your own thing. And there are very subtle ways to do that. Um, obviously, like if something's marked forte and then something else is marked piano, you have to play the piano piano and the forte forte. But how much can you push that forte and still make it sound forte? How much can you push that piano quieter and still make it sound piano? And the more you can sort of, you know, figure out how to still play what's on the page, but make it sound more like your own thing is the way to really make, you know, I'm convinced is really the way to make, you know, the process of playing an audition a lot more enjoyable. Um, so that's, that's how I've learned how to stay motivated over the years. I've taken 45 professional auditions and you're absolutely right. I didn't win all of them. Um, <laughs> I'd have a very different, you know, life if I had, I certainly wouldn't have taken 45 if I had. Um, so yeah, um, one, one last thing now that I'm thinking about it is that because I didn't win 45, you have to sort of have a strategy for what happens if you don't win the audition. And frankly, the odds are pretty good that you're not gonna win the audition. It doesn't matter who you are, you know, you could be um, Gene Picorni you know, uh, 20 years ago, taking auditions, not that Gene's not an amazing player now, but of course we all have our prime where like everything's just like, you know, firing on all cylinders. Um, you know, you could be, you could be some other person who is just the most amazing player on earth and you could show up and you could just have a bad day. You know, you could, you know, pardon me for saying this, but you could shit the bed, right. <laughs> you know, um, and, and that, that happens, you know, for a lot of people often, right? So how do you, you know, get um, through that and motivate yourself to take the next one? For me, it's besides just trying to figure out how to make the process enjoyable, you have to be willing to say, as soon as the audition's over, okay, what would I have changed in this last audition? to have given myself a better chance of playing better. And that is often very powerful because as soon as the audition is over and you're like, oh, that didn't sound good and I didn't advance and all this stuff. It's like, well, wait, why? Why didn't I advance? You know, what, what could I have done in my own playing? What could I have done in my preparation to have made that better? Yeah, that, that's very good advice. Thanks. Okay, so the other big topic that this podcast is about is also about health. So yeah. you have a very, very busy schedule as far as playing goes, but I know you're also an active runner. So can you yeah. talk a little bit about your health journey? Absolutely. 
I think this is actually pretty important because, you know, when I was a, you know, a teenager, I mean, I got to be about 300 pounds. So I, I'm about six foot five, four, depending on if I'm slouching. And, um, you know, 300 pounds on me doesn't look really bad. It's obviously I'm, I was a pretty heavy kid though. And it certainly didn't bode well for my future. So I always wanted to be thinner. Um, I wanted to have, frankly, I wanted to have a better shot at um, getting girls. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was not fantastic at that. <laughs> um, so I spent, um, you know, some time trying to figure out, you know, how could I slim down a bit? And uh, I started running a little bit when I was 17, 18. And then uh, when I started school, my, my first college uh, was actually uh, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Um, I was there for the first two years and then I transferred to the Cleveland Institute of Music. And so while I was at UWM, um, I, the, the first semester I was in school, I stayed in uh, an apartment that basically had no uh, stove or anything. It's, it's technically an efficiency. Um, I missed the lottery for the dorm. <clears throat> so uh, all I had every night was like a microwave dinner. And those are like 300 calories. So I, I like dropped 30 pounds between that and walking to school every day, uh, sometimes twice a day. And then, you know, I decided that I wanted to start going to the gym, um, started getting on the Stairmaster, started lifting a little bit. And then I started running a little bit more and I worked it up to two miles. And then I was running closer to three. And then when I went to Cleveland, I started running more and more. Uh, I was doing four miles, five miles. Uh, by the time I got to my second year in Cleveland, I was doing a 10 mile race. Um, it gradually sort of built up. Um, you know, and that's what I tell people who express interest in running to do, to gradually build it up, start with a mile, you know, do that for a while, then add another mile eventually, do two, then do three, then do four, then do five. Um, once you get to five, I think that's, that's pretty much, you know, how much you want to run in a day. You know, most runners aren't out there doing eight or nine or 10 miles a day. Um, it's honestly, I don't think it's honestly really great for your joints to be doing that much running every day. Um, although I'm not a scientist, so you'd have to ask somebody who's an orthopedist or something. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I've also gotten a fair bit into strength training. Um, I started lifting a little bit when I was younger, and then I started to get more into it when I moved to, uh, well, actually when I finished uh, school at Colburn and I was living in LA, I decided to get more into strength training. Uh, that started off as weightlifting. Um, I got really into it for a year and then I injured myself because I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and now I work with a trainer uh, once every other week uh, here in Baltimore, his name's Steve and he is incredible. He's gotten me uh, over and through and then passed so many injuries um, that I've caused myself. <laughs> uh, you know, part of that's just because, you know, I, I move funny, but then again, most people move funny. You know, the way we walk isn't supernatural for anybody. 
part of that's just because, you know, we've grown up with screens and we were always hunched over. Part of that's just because, you know, when you're like two years old and you're learning to walk, you know, uh, nobody's like, you know, good job, you know, little Timmy, but, you know, make sure that you walk on your instep and not all the way on your outside. You know? <laughs> Nobody says that to like a two-year-old. Um, so it's however you learn how to do it is how you end up doing it as an adult. But, you know, that, that can really be problematic. So I, I really encourage people to go to a functional trainer or a physical therapist, because a lot of the times insurance will pay for physical therapy. Um, you know, and basically examine how you move. Um, it's a big deal because, you know, especially for musicians, how you move will determine how well you're able to, cont uh, to continue playing the instrument that you're playing. Um, and, you know, that's, that's kind of a big deal if you want to, you know, continue playing well uh, until you get to a retirement age. A lot of people, you know, don't. And so, you know, um, you have to go on disability when you're 55 or 60, and then you never get to play another show. It sucks, you know? So take care of yourselves. That's another thing that I want to point out real quick, which is that, you know, most tuba players who end up finding success as performers, honestly, they're in pretty good shape, you know? And if you're a student and you're listening to this, you know, you might want to take note of that because um, uh, that there's a lot of people who think that, oh, well, I just need to be sort of a big person, you know, to play the tuba successfully because that's what a, you know, important tuba player looks like. Honestly, no, you know, I mean, if you look at uh, me or Carol or Albert or Roy Lance or um, uh, I'm just going up the East Coast here. Uh, or, or somebody like, you know, uh, Dennis Nelty or, um, uh, going West to like, you know, John DeCesar or Jeff Anderson or Jatik Clark, um, or Aaron McCullough, who just won San Diego, right? Um, all those people are honestly in pretty good shape, you know, and you can find that more or less in every major orchestra in the United States, um, Yasu's in good shape, Craig's in good shape. You know, all these folks are uh, in, you know, reasonably good shape. So um, I think it's really important that we pay attention to our physiques so that we are not getting in our own way to produce the best musical product that we can on the tuba or any other brass instrument. Um, the more we have to deal with, you know, excess weight and health problems later on, the more gets in the way of us producing great sound. Yeah, I had never actually thought about that. Like now that I'm running through all the orchestral tuba players in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, because that stereotype image of a tuba player is always like just somebody who's really tall, rather overweight, and then they're just playing a big instrument and that's kind of what they go through. But that's, yeah. I guess, not reflective of what a lot of us look like. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could even start running down the Midwest and more or less find people that are generally in shape. I mean, you know, uh, Joe Lefevre is another one. Uh, Steve Campbell's in, in good shape. Uh, you know, Nulty's in good shape. Robert Black, who's been in Milwaukee for a couple of years now, is in really good shape. So, you know, I mean, um, it's it's 
it's really important, I think, to make sure that uh, you bring a healthy physical perspective to the instrument as well as a healthy mental perspective. Right. Now, for the students out there who are trying to manage this, I know when I was in undergrad, because I was like also near 300 pounds when I was in undergrad, it oh, was, okay. I don't have time to exercise. And when I'm like getting out of rehearsal really late at night, I'm not thinking about having a healthy meal. So how do you sure. manage to fit that within your day? Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. It really is. Um, so, you know, when you're super busy, um, you know, even just going to do some sort of exercise for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes a day can really make all the difference in the world. And I think it's really important to sort of underline that because, you know, when I started at CIM, my teacher was Ron Bishop. And uh, who, by the way, was also a, you know, really in shape uh, guy. And he was like five foot six or five foot seven. He was not a tall man. Um, and, uh, you know, I had, I had moved in and I was really, you know, intense with the practicing. I was just trying to get everything ready. And I was having a lesson with him and like, it was pretty clear that I was not able to focus on what I was doing and what he was saying to me. And I was like, yeah, I, I just, I haven't gone for a run for like two or three weeks. And he was like, well, you might want to go for a run. Make sure you clear out all the mental cobwebs, you know? <laughs> so I did, you know, and, and it was great because, you know, um, you, you get that sort of uh, adrenaline going it makes you a little bit more tired. You're not just sort of in that sort of anxiety mode where you're easily distracted. And um, it clears out a lot of the toxins that are sort of sitting in your body. It helps your body to sort of regulate itself. Um, so, you know, that's, that's just one sort of small example. Um, but it's, it also is really good because, you know, even just moving your body a little bit, um, really helps to control inflammation and it helps you to sort of stay focused and awake. So, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of just, you know, getting out there and moving around, you don't even have to put on workout clothes. And if that's not possible, then, you know, I mean, between classes, you know, um, you could just sort of do some stretching, get up every hour and make sure you're moving around. Um, I'm assuming if you're a student, you're walking between classes. So that's probably a good thing. Um, you know, uh, if you have a few extra minutes, take the long route, you know, to class, that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, I think it's actually really good to just spend a couple of minutes, dedicate a minute or two each day, either maybe early morning when you wake up or right at night before you go to bed to sort of plan out how and when and where you're gonna eat, right? And what you're gonna eat, right? So that way you're not just like, oh shit, I haven't eaten in like, you know, eight hours. I'm just gonna stop by um, Wendy's and get, you know, a double double with fries or whatever it is that they have. I don't, I don't really go to Wendy's, but you know, a frosty, you know, a large frosty cause I'm super hungry and I deserve it. You know, I think that way too, by the way, like I don't, I don't like, you know, 
um, the other night I, I had a really rough night, you know, getting back here to Baltimore, my flight was delayed and the shut the shuttle didn't pick me up. So I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to McDonald's. I'm getting myself a cone, you know, <laughs> and it was worth it, you know? Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, if, if you're eating like that all the time, if you're doing that every day, then it really adds up. Right. So you know, a little bit of strategy. Notice how I keep coming back to this word strategy. The more you sort of start to think ahead, the more you have control over your life, right? So, you know, I was a guy, you know, as a student who just sort of, you know, I, I always felt like I was flinging myself at stuff at the last minute. And to some extent that was, that sort of worked because I had a lot of passion for what I was doing. So, you know, even though I was really disorganized, you know, um, I'd always do most for the most part, do what I was trying to do pretty well. But, you know, that's, that's just frankly, no way to live. Like, you know, you're always behind, you're always stressed out, all this other stuff. So, you know, the more you start to really change your life so that you're more organized, that you're thinking ahead to the next thing all the time, the more you'll end up seeing success, the more you'll end up seeing what you want to happen actually happen, right? So taking auditions is a great example. And I'm getting a little off topic here, but I, I just want to make sure I follow this thought through to its conclusion. Taking auditions is a great example because, you know, before um, I got really serious about auditions, I would show up you know, having practiced everything and it would just be, it would just sort of be a disorganized mess in how I was practicing stuff. And, you know, would it sound good? Yeah, I mean, it would sound fine, but it wouldn't really get me out of the first round. And that was mostly because I was trying to keep what I practiced um, in my head. So what do you do? You start writing stuff down. You start planning out your practice sessions. You start um, even just sort of mentally thinking ahead to the next day of what you're going to practice, when, where, how, etc. And when you do that, you're so much more focused on getting the job done, A, and B, because you're documenting it in a notebook, your retention of your practicing, of what you're improving in your practicing, and what you want to continue improving in your practicing is a lot greater. So that way, when you show up to an audition, um, you're, uh, you're just a lot more um, prepared, right? You've got a lot more of the work that you've done just sort of that's now innate within you. And so when you perform in an audition, how you perform is a, um, is a representation of that, you know? So, um, I think that's why it's so important to be organized and you can apply that to anything in life, but, you know, exercise is certainly something that I try to apply it to. And look, I'm not great all the time. I don't like plan out an entire week of exercise all the time, but when I get super busy, actually I do, I do do that. Um, you know, on, uh, uh, you know, several weeks of the year, not every week, like I said, not the majority of the weeks, but the weeks where I'm super busy. Yeah. I put down on my calendar. I am, this is, this is my running time. You know, this is my, um, time to go to the gym. Right. Especially now you and me, Jazzy, uh, you know, we're both running, uh, races. So every week I put down, 
uh, when my long run's going to be. I have to plan that out. I have to, because it's two hours out of my day or whatever it is. Um, you know, if you're training for a marathon, it could be three or three and a half. So you've got to figure out, you know, not only uh, when you're going to do it, but where you're going to run in the city <laughs> that you're in, right? Like, yep. you know, how, how, and not only where, but how are you going to run, you know, 20 miles and, you know, not put yourself at risk of going into a, you know, sort of sketchy part of town or, you know, um, uh, you know, you're not going to like end up like on a freeway or something. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually, that's actually easier to do than a lot of people might know, you know, you like, you, you think you've got this great run planned and it's like, oh, no, wait, that's a freeway on ramp. Like, don't go down there, <laughs> you know, and then you're in the middle of a run and you've got to like, you know, recalibrate how you're going to get those however many miles, 15 miles. Well, I can't run down that freeway. Okay, well, so now I've got to make this detour and it's going to make it longer. So now I've got to make it shorter on this end. And oh, yeah. so you know, the, the more you're prepared for that, the better. Um, so yeah, I've probably talked enough about this. I don't want to be a dead horse, but you know, organization in my life has been key. Um, and I think it's really seen me through the successes that I've had up to this point. Yeah. For those of you listening, I actually have a whole episode on scheduling and organization. That's episode number nine. So check that out if you do have a chance, because it might be able to help you find a place to start. Because when you look at a schedule, it's very difficult to just try to conceptualize, like you have this many hours, where do they all go? So that may be something helpful. That's awesome. Yes, please listen to that episode. I plan to myself now. <laughs> Yeah, I think that kind of covers anything. Is there anything else you want to add? Any sort of like tips? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the parallels between exercise and playing. And so you can have like, you know, your student and you can have them blow paper against the wall. It's this whole Arnold Jacobs sort of thing where you take a piece of paper, you put it against the wall, and you blow on it and then you take your hand away and you try to keep that paper against the wall for as long as possible. Um, and it's a great exercise. I use it on my students. Um, it's awesome. But that's basically just cycling air, right? If you go outside and you go for a run for as long as you were taking time to blow that paper against the wall and you did that every day instead, you're um, ability to inhale and exhale, to breathe in and then blow would automatically improve remarkably, right? So rather than stand there and, and just blow the paper against the wall, go outside and go for a run, you know, uh, for the same amount of time, 20 minutes or something. You know, I was amazed when I was a student at UWM, how, you know, I, I was that kid that practiced, you know, as a freshman and sophomore, like four hours a day. Um, and so I was there at like, you know, 10, 11 PM and, um, uh, I, I came back from a run. It was like, you know, like a 9 PM run. It was late at night. I was just sort of running around, um, the lake. And I basically went straight to the practice room and, um, 
it was just sort of this long hallway sort of practice room. And I started playing Fountains of Rome and I was just amazed. I was amazed at just how easy it was to get air in and then to make a, you know, big sound from that. Um, and, and that was really um, uh, sort of mind blowing to me because, you know, it's, it, I realized that as long as I kept, you know, doing those, those runs, doing that, and it doesn't have to be running, by the way, it could be swimming, it could be just getting on the elliptical, something that really challenges um, your ability to breathe in and then blow out, right? Um, you know, something that really gets you sweaty. Um, and, you know, once, once you do that, it's just like, well, I don't really have to work on this. And I don't, frankly, I do, I do not work on blowing the paper against the wall. Why would I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm running half marathons. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I blow a lot of air all the time. And when I pick up the tuba, I do the same thing. Right. So, you know, um, I think it's really an argument for exercise, um, for good, intense cardiovascular exercise. Um, several days a week, like four or five, six days a week. Yeah, if you're really ambitious, you can do breathing exercises while running. I've been doing that a little bit. It's so difficult, like trying to do in for four, out for four while like in the middle of a five mile <laughs> run. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Look at you, that's, that's, that's ambitious. Um, I, I think I've tried that once or twice and, uh, oof. but you know, I mean, look, you know, you really want to test those limits. Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Anything else? I'm good. It's, it's been really good to do this with you, Jazzy. I mean, uh, I've, I've, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, doing this half marathon. We did the Baltimore running fest half marathon together. And uh, it was, it was a really good time. It was hard, you know, it was hills, like eight yes. miles of hills. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you joined us and uh, yeah, I, you know, I look forward to um, uh, doing other things, uh, you know, with you as a DMA student at Peabody and, uh, and congratulations again on your, um, uh, new uh position at ohio state you'll be filling not ohio state at university of ohio you'll be filling in for jason and 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 they're they're going to be very lucky to have you so congratulations thank you all right so where can people find you on social media ah great question so i am uh on facebook just uh my first and last name and then on instagram it's just at aubrey ford f-o-a-r-d and then uh I have a Twitter account. I, I don't use it. So that's pretty much okay. it. Do people still use Twitter? I guess that's the question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you're not a politician or a celebrity, I don't think people really use Twitter all that much. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's such a pleasure and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Wow. I hope you got as much from that conversation as I did. Please be sure to find Aubrey on social media to keep up with the work he is doing. We didn't get to Roses, Buds, and Thorns this episode, but that's okay. The segment will return next week's episode on becoming one with yourself. In the meantime, please let me know if any of this resonated with you and if you have any questions or episode suggestions. 
Also, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends and family about the show. I really appreciate it. So thank you and have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Harmony and Healing. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Harmony and Healing Podcast. And you can find me personally at The Jazzy Tubist on both Facebook and Instagram. And at my website, jasminthiggit.com. I'll see you next Thursday. Hopefully what I just did is not on the video. So let's try uh, that again. I mean, it's audio, so nobody can really see. What okay. Doing. All right. Well, you can edit this part out. <laughs> I did, a, did a Nazi salute there. That's horrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> you're trying to hold the paper against the wall, right? Here's the paper. And you're trying to hold it against the wall. Here. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh my god. We're the best at podcasting right here. Uh Joe Rogan, eat your heart out. <laughs> oh my god. I wouldn't listen to that guy if you paid me a million bucks. Um all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Deep breaths. Oh my god. All right. So we're gonna rewind here. I'm going to sort of start over. Um, <laughs>